Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. just open up our services with prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for this time, and we invite you to join with us. May our praise and may our worship, Lord, be pleasing in your sight. And Lord, as we just begin this act of worship by giving back, Lord, that you would just be honored in our giving. Lord, let us give uh, cheerfully, generously, Lord, not out of compulsion, but desire just to advance your kingdom. Thank you for this opportunity to do so. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. How great is our God. What a treasure and pleasure and privilege it is to stand in the midst of a people who want to worship a God, a holy God. Join with me as we just come together in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning with all of our hearts, our minds, and our strength. We come together to pray that you would reveal yourself in a mighty way this glorious morning. Let us not fail to see your goodness and providence in our lives. And we join with Scripture to declare boldly that the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Yet we must confess that we have not fully honored you with our actions and speech this past week. We have been inconsistent in our faith. We have struggled in the fight with sin. We have praised you on one hand and then denied you on the other. Father, we are weak and we pray for your strength. Thank you for your forgiveness and mercy that you freely give us as you exhibit and show your kindness to your people. Holy Spirit, we come before you this morning to ask for your work to continue in making us and conforming us into the image of Christ. And we desire with all of our hearts your cleansing work as difficult as it may be. May we be yielding willingly to the difficult work of putting off and putting on that we may decrease while Jesus increases in our life. And Jesus, we thank you for being obedient to the Father. We submit to your Lordship this morning. Please remove any and all obstacles that we have erected against you and your rightful kingship. Our hearts are full of idol-making factories. They teach us to reject all claims against you. But we pray that we would bring into thought every thought into captivity. Let our worship be pleasing to you this morning. May we declare your name with the saints that have gone on before us. Pray that you would lift up the downcast and heal the brokenhearted. And you would set free the captive. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus, your Son. And all God's people said, Amen. Take your Bibles, join with me as we look at the taming of the tongue in James chapter 3. We're making good time through this book, but I think a valuable and hopefully encouraging time in James chapter 1 verse 18. James had reminded them of his own will that God has brought us forth by the word of truth and that we should be kind of a first fruits, that we will be conformed and be like Christ. And because of that, we are commanded 
to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. We, we got this, we understand this. Understand that God has a plan for our lives to make us like his son, to make us like Jesus. And he admonishes us in James chapter 1 to be doers of that implanted word and not hearers only. As true believers will follow through on their profession of faith, as he says, the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, not being a hearer, but also a doer, says that he will be blessed. And we've summed up our understanding up to this point as that those who profess Christ must follow through by loving God with all their hearts, all their souls, their mind, and then love their neighbor as their self. In our passage last week, James had declared that faith without works cannot save. Not only can it not save, but faith without works is dead and useless. And that's what we understood last week. Now, as we continue on, let's imagine for a moment those Jewish believers in the first century church who are scattered among the nations. They are living far from home, alienated by a culture around them, and persecuted not only socially, but economically, not only from the pagans that they live among, but also from their Jewish brothers and sisters because of their faith that Jesus is the Messiah. And as if you could put yourself in that sand-footed area and realize that they are living a difficult life in a different environment. And James is telling them that as strangers and aliens in another land, that they are to be the salt and light that Jesus taught them to be, and that they are to make disciples of all men in their going. And that their actions will be a loud testimony about whether or not their trust in Christ is genuine, is true or not. And he wrote to encourage them to live out their faith and to bear fruits in keeping with repentance by doing good works, even in the midst of the trials that they were going through. So here they are, in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of their poverty, and in the midst of their suffering, they are to love their enemies, pray for those who persecute them, give cheerfully and generously, and to count it all joy without suffering. Easy peasy, right? How would you respond? How did they respond? Would they count the cost and find following Christ worth it? Or would they find that the cost of following Jesus is too high? But wait, James isn't finished. Not only do they, must they do all those other things, James is not finished, as we're going to see in today's passage, Not only are they to practice self-discipline in doing good works, now James is going to warn them and tell them that they are to practice self-discipline in controlling their tongue. Not only is the way we act important in proving our faith, whether it's genuine and true or not, but also our speech. A life of self-discipline, you have to understand, James is recognizing in this hostile environment that they are, is that a life of self-discipline was necessary, especially in a hostile environment. The Jewish Christians should understand the importance of of how evil the tongue can be. They themselves were recipients of hate speech and other vile accusations for their faith. 
Jesus had taught them not to respond in a hateful, despiteful manner. Their only sanctuary was their house fellowship where they would meet weekly to gather, to break bread, and to read scripture, and to encourage each other. It was the one place that they were accepted and encouraged. That's why James is going to encourage them now to practice self-discipline in how they spoke to one another as the church should be a healthy community, one of peace and love and harmony, a refuge from a cruel, taunting world. And Father, with that in mind, open up our hearts to your word. Help us to, uh, to move through time and to understand what your word here to these Jewish Christian believers were. That in a time of hostility, Lord, that they were to live out their faith regardless of the consequences and the circumstances. And then, Lord, let us do the work of understanding, interpreting, but then also responding in our own time frame as we too live in a hostile, despiteful world that in reality hates your Son and His kingship. Lord, speak to us this morning. We pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, join with me. I want to share with you four observations about the tongue. Not only is he saying your works prove your genuineness, but also your tongue. There's four things I want to share. The first one we're going to see in the first five verses, in which he says the tongue is a powerful instrument. We're going to see this in chapter 3 in those first five verses. The tongue is a powerful instrument. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that they who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole tongue. He is a good man, the Bible's saying. He goes on to write, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The tongue, though a small part of the body, is a very, very powerful instrument. You and I have to understand that. James is giving them a simple warning that though it's strong or small, it's a very powerful. And using examples from farming and sailing, he points out that even the smallest of creatures and items can be used to control larger things. We think of that phrase, the pen is mightier than the sword. We all know that. That's, that's kind of put in, in layman's terms. We understand the power of the spoken word, the power of the tongue. And with that in mind, James here is given a special warning real quickly to those who teach, whether you're a preacher, an elder, or someone who stands up before little children. He says you must be careful. He wants to warn those who seek prominent roles of teaching, of using the tongue wrongly to advocate and build up their own kingdom. As Douglas Moo, as a pastor and professor, writes, teachers especially should not use the tongue in a destructive way. You and I understand how destructive the tongue can be and how strong it is. James probably had in mind Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 12 where he writes, Everyone to whom much is given of much will be required, and from to whom they entrusted much, 
they will demand more. Those of us who teach, who preach, who come up and use our words and use our tongues need to recognize how powerful that tongue can be. Um, I don't think there's too many of you that may remember this. Maybe you might have been a young person during World War II. But remember what the famous slogan was? Loose slips. Say that real quick for me, would you? Just so the recording can get it. You don't want me to do it because I don't know what it'll turn out to be. But loose lips sinks. Yes, we'll say that. We understand that it's a strong, powerful instrument. As small as it is, as insignificant we think of the tongue, it's a powerful instrument. Paul had warned in 2 Timothy, speaking of teachers and those who, have, who use their tongue for teaching or for preaching, that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And we need to guard the good deposit entrusted to us. In Acts, they said, therefore I testify to you this day. Paul says, I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We need to understand that the tongue, those who teach, the way that we use our tongue and our speech can be very powerful. And it has an outreach much further than we could ever comprehend. He says that there will be a greater responsibility on them. See, Paul is an example of one who understood the dangers of the tongue and the importance of using our tongue and our words and our speech correctly. In the second part of verse 2, Paul makes a statement that if you can tame the tongue, you have enough discipline to control everything else in your life. He's saying if you're able to control the tongue, he actually says that you can be a perfect man, but we know that that's not possible, is it? In other words, believers who exercise control of their tongue will have greater strength and ability to exercise self-control in their whole life. We need to understand that the tongue is a powerful instrument. I think you understand that. We don't need to say more about that. You get it. It's a powerful instrument, no matter of its size. Its size belies its very strength and its impact in our lives, as we're going to see. For the second point, he goes in a little bit deeper. After stating that it's a very small instrument, but very powerful, strong one, he says that the tongue can be a destructive force. As we look at verses 5b and 6, for he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, isn't it? It only takes a spark. Look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. He says, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the course of life, and set on fire by hell. What strong words he's writing. And you and I don't understand it. The tongue can be a very destructive force. He's using here a powerful image to describe a powerful destructive force of the unbridled tongue. Spread like wildfire. We understand that phrase. It's a phrase we use even today to speak of something powerful that is out of control. We think of Iraq and, and all the terrorists, and it's spreading like wildfire. We thought of the, the Arab Spring where the, the ideology and everything, it's spreading like wildfire. Maybe a disease is spreading like wildfire. And you know what? That's something that you and I can understand as we turn on our TV during fire season here in Southern California, do we not? It just takes one person. You know, it could be a muffler and a backfire just driving by the careless cigarette thrown out the window, or just an innocent fire that is not put out all the way, or even the strike of a, of a workman's tool that starts a fire. All these things, since we've been here, 
have been causes of massive fires here in Southern California. It spreads like wildfire. We need to be careful and understand that the tongue can be very, very destructive. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 16 that a worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. James lists three ways that the tongue is destructive. You see that in verse 6. First, it says that the tongue stains the whole body. The words that we say does not just come out, but it stains the whole body. It's, it's something that you cannot get out. In James chapter 1, verse 21 and 27, if you have your Bible there, you can look at those two verses quickly, where he's warned them about their purity and about true religion and how to practice. He says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. He says, that's what you need to do. In verse 27, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is one that keeps oneself unstained from the world. But yet the tongue is not something that comes from without. It's something that comes from within. The tongue is something that stains the whole body. You can't separate what you say from the person. We try to do that all the time, but it doesn't work. But not only does it stain the whole body, but it also can impact the course of your life. It can impact the course of your life. How many of you remember the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Yeah, but names will never hurt me. What a fool, right? Is that true? No. Bones mend and, and heal. But how many of you are still impacted by a careless, destructive word said by someone in your life? Are we not? You're stupid. Can't you do anything right? What's wrong with you? Are you an idiot? Man, you must be dumb. You're worthless. You know, we really didn't want to have you. You were an accident. Words that have an impact way beyond what someone says. I myself can remember one day we were singing. I was eighth grade. Mrs. Trudell was singing, doing choir. Boy, that she was a fiery redhead. Small little thing. She's like the tongue. She's powerful. She's destructive. God bless her. But I remember one time we were singing, and she was just having the boys sing. And she says, oh, one of you guys are off. And so she would have us sing, and it's going on. And I could realize all of a sudden, you know, it's me. I, I really didn't like singing. I really couldn't sing. And she started then breaking us up. Okay, the bass, the tenors. Okay, this group of guys, and before the end of it, I started just lip-syncing it. I was Britney Spears. I was just lip-syncing the thing, and there was no way that I was going to be heard. Eventually, she was satisfied and went on. They're confirming that really who she's talking. And for years, for years, I would not sing in choir. I just lip-synced or just quietly did what I had to do. Because choir was recorded, I had to do it. I, I remember when I was a freshman, they finally went away, and, or as a sophomore, they finally said, you know what, choir is not re required anymore, you could choose it. I was so happy. And I remember going out one time, and we had a soccer game, and she says, okay, so those of you who don't want to be part of it, you can leave. And so I start to leave, and I remember one, one of the, Soccer star. She says, "Rob, aren't you staying?" I said, "No way. You know, I, why should I? I you know, I, 
she's already killed me for it. And this was her husband leading it. There was no way I was going to stay. He goes, I want you to stay. So I stayed. And I started to sing a little bit more. I started to sing out loud, not lip syncing. Learning to sing a little bit better. Until eventually I got to the point where I could sing a little bit. Again, his simple tongue caused me to continue and bring it back. We all have teachers, maybe even a parent, a worker, a employer, someone in our life that's caused destructive words to hurt us. Probably many of you today have been impacted by what someone has said. You may even carry the scars of a destructive tongue. What people say, what you and I say, lasts much longer and reach much further than you and I think. Sometimes generations. For the one little boy that's told that he is stupid in an accident, grows up repeating that to his little boy, his little girl. The tongue can impact the course of your life. It's destructive. Not only that, but it's strong. The tongue can be an instrument of Satan. As he says, it is set on fire by hell. The word hell, there's a Greek word, Gehenna. You've heard this before. Gehenna was a real place. It was called the Valley of Hinnom. It was just outside of Jerusalem. And it had a horrific history of a place where the pagans would go and burn their children alive in worship of the god Molech. It was also a place, by the time Jesus was teaching, where they would carry their trash and just burn it. It was a place that if you would go out, you would just see fire and smoke, and you would just bring in just the smell of just awfulness. It would conjure up just, just a stink and burning. Jesus referred this word, Gehenna, this hell, 11 times to refer to the place of ultimate condemnation. In John chapter 8, Jesus, speaking to the religious leaders, condemns them by saying, You are of the Father, the devil, and your will is to do your Father's desires. And we too shake our fingers at the Pharisees, but to be honest, he's talking about you and I. He says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and a father of lies. When he says the tongue is set on fire by hell, he's saying you are like the devil himself. When you lie, you're of the devil. The, everything that comes from lying and distrust and false witness, that comes from hell, he's saying. Proverbs tells us, a lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. He says also, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, amen? But a false witness utters deceit. Listen to this, there is ones whose rash words are like sword thrusts. I felt the sharp point of that. Have you? But I must be honest. I've been on the other side of that sword too, doing the one thrusting. And going deeper. Because the tongue is destructive. 
and it's set on fire by hell. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. He says, the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin, just like a trash heap that those who live by their tongue, allowing it to just take control of them. He says, your end is ruined. It's trash. It will be burned up. Jesus wanted the Jewish believers to understand that words have a great impact on the spiritual condition. It stains the whole body. It can set the course of our own life. It's an instrument of Satan. We must recognize the destructive force the tongue has. It reveals the inner heart. We think of phrases. Maybe you've said this. Maybe you heard it. Be honest with me here in a moment. Have you ever blurted out something and then said, well, wait a second, I didn't really mean that. Ever heard it? Ever said it? Some of you both hands up like me. Here's this newsflash. Yes, you did. You did mean it. You only said it because it was in your heart. When we say words like, I didn't mean it, I can't believe I said that out loud, all these things, these are things that come from within us. We must understand it, it's destructive. And that destructive is not coming just from a tiny little member of our body, but from the heart, for it speaks out of the heart. It's a destructive force. It's a powerful instrument. And the third point that we're going to see in the next two verses, 7 and 8, that the tongue is very difficult to control. The tongue is very difficult to control, and there's some of you that understand that maybe a little bit better than others. Listen to what he says there in verse 7 of chapter 3. He says, For every kind of beast of bird, of reptile and sea creatures, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But look what he says. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James here is referring to James chapter 1, verse 26, where God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In this verse, you and I see that God has given man the authority and their wherewithal to tame the animal kingdom and we have. Yesterday we went to San Diego Zoo and I knew what I was preaching today and Brandon was showing me some of the, the you were looking at animals and then we were looking at the part of some animals that live that are now extinct and we were looking at their replicas of the size of some of the animals and I'm thinking how do you tame an elephant? How did they, they tame a, a saber tooth or, or some of these other types of animals and we know that humankind did. We have brought them to our dominion. We've used them as beasts of burdens and things of that nature. Yet we struggle taming our own tongue. Why? Because it's full of restless and full of deadly poison. Out of all things, we have a hard time controlling that small little instrument. Proverbs tells us that a fool's lips walk into a fight. I love this part. You may want to write this down. You may just want to put this for your teenager, Proverbs 18, 6 and 7, Mom. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. That's a great verse. 
A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Proverbs 10.18 says, The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slanders is a fool. Why? He cannot. He is a fool. It cannot be tamed. Matthew 5.22, he says, But Jesus, speaking again, says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to hell fire. What? Man cannot help it. He can't tame it. It seems to be too strong. Yet, James had warned earlier in chapter 1. Look at chapter 1, verse 19 of James, if you have your Bible still open. James chapter 1, we went over this. Look at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brother, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? Verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We must understand that. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he writes earlier, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Though we have, we were weird to tame it, the Bible tells us that no man can tame it. The tongue is very difficult to tame. And because of that, we come to our fourth point as we finish out the interpretation of the verse. In verse 9, the fourth thing that we see is that an untamed tongue leads to an inconsistent faith. It leads to an inconsistent faith. Look what he says here. Speaking of the tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Amen? Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh salt water? The answer is no. Can a fig tree, my brother, bear both olives and a grapefruit produce figs? No, it's impossible. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. An untamed tongue leads to an inconsistent faith. With it we bless God and in the next minute we curse God. We do this each and every day. Many times unrealizing that the people that we speak against are made in the image of God. This is now Rob, okay? I like to just give a little editorial. And I don't want to talk about the political, the social and all the other aspects of these poor children and parents that are coming up from Central America. I know there's real-world things that are going on, but let me say this. In our determining what is the right answer, finding out what the solution is, let us frame all of our discussion and thinking about this as realizing that those young children are made in the image and likeness of our God. Amen? And so anything else needs to be put into that biblical worldview blinder, and then we seek out political, social, economic solutions based on that. And we can be guilty with our tongues when we praise God 
that He will save people from every nation and from every tongue and from every tribe of the earth. But yet then when we look at our brothers and sisters in need, we say, God forbid. Okay, back. An untamed tongue leads to an inconsistent faith. One who cannot control their tongue is like a double-minded man that James warned about earlier in chapter 1, verse 8, when he said a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And there are some of you who are professing Christ, but with your tongue you're walking around like a drunken man looking for something to hang on to. Because you're professing Christ on one hand and then going out and cursing Him with your tongue or someone else on the other side. And I'm not speaking about saying curse words, okay? I'm talking about with what we say. Remember the old song, Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Same goes, oh, be careful little tongue what you say. I love this song. It's found in Proverbs. It says, Keep your tongue from evil, keep your tongue, and your lips from speaking lies. Now hold your tongue and try to do that. It's very difficult. That's a song that we teach the kids. Why? Because we must understand from an early age. Can't say on one hand one thing and say another. You don't curse, you know, there, there's no phrase of a kid when he's cussing. Do you kiss your mom with that mouth? But James is pointing out that a pure heart and impure speech are incompatible. Get it? Got it? Good. That's the point of James' teaching in this passage. Speech comes from the heart. Doug Moo writes that control of the tongue manifests or shows the transformed heart. So someone who could only listen to what you say, would they say, man, that person is a Christian. That man professes Christ. That man, that woman is Christ-like. Last week it was our good works and our actions. This week it's our speech. Would they be able to show it? Surely James is referring to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 15, 11, where he says, Hear and understand, he says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but that which comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slanders. These are what defiles a person. Just as James pointed out last week that our works will one day be judged, so will our word. When he said to the religious leaders, you brood of vipers. How, and think of a viper. You know, you're thinking about a snake with his tongue sticking out. I think, it's, I think he's just pointing out, you forked tongue. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We read this earlier, right? The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So what are you bringing forth today? 
I tell you, even on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified. By your words you'll be condemned. You see, your speech, like works, validate the genuineness of your faith. A true follower of Christ will seek to control his tongue and obey God's commands in loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's not in just providing bread to those in need or water to those who are thirsty, not only visiting those that are in prison, not only sharing the gospel with Christ, but it also means the things that we say to them and how we say them. Don't say that you love your wife on one end and then act a different way. It's not to be so. Ephesians 4.29 The Bible says here that man cannot tame his tongue, but let me tell you, that's very true. That's why you and I need need God. For it's only in the Holy Spirit. For He does tell us that we are to exercise self-discipline with our tongue. Obviously speaking of our heart. We need to understand what God has called us. Write down Ephesians 4.29. One day you will be judged on whether or not you've done this. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such which is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So if you ask yourself, I don't know whether I should say this. Well, ask yourself, does it build up or does it tear down? If you don't know what to say to your husband or to your wife, ask this question, will it build them up or will it tear down? Should I tell my children this? Will it build up or will it tear it down? But let me give you this. Sometimes tough words will build. We need to say tough things. That's part of loving. That's part of good speech. But how we say it and what we say is important. We've seen this. So let no corrupting talk, but only that which builds up. Write this down, Ephesians 5. 19 and 20. He says, especially in church, he's talking about the church. This is what you and I are to be doing each Sunday. And when we meet on small groups, we're to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks and always for everything to God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're to be doing. He tells us again in Ephesians 5, 25, he says, Put away all falsehood, and let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one and another. The Bible says that our tongue is very important. It's powerful. But it can be destructive as it's stained with sin. It's stained with that from hell. And it has a large impact We must recognize that the tongue is not only destructive, but it's also difficult to control. And if it's uncontrolled, it leads to an inconsistent faith or even an ungenuine profession of faith. That's the warning for you and I now. That's what he was speaking to those Jewish believers 2,000 years ago in a hostile environment as they were struggling. You can imagine as they were receiving the persecution, as they were living lives of poverty, as they were living lives that were attacking them, you could imagine that their mind just wants to, oh, I wish I could tell him what I think of him. Or I wish I could defend myself. Or can you imagine those pagan godless dogs? That's pretty cool. You don't don't want to do that. But now let's look at ourselves. 
For we are like our Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ from that first century. You see, you and I also are in the midst of a hostile environment. We too are under attack for our faith and our profession of faith in Christ. Remember one porter said last week, one, one of those talking heads on TV, responding to the Catholic Church who is receiving some of these unaccompanied minors here in San Bernardino in L.A. This is someone who gets up on a national program, listen to what she says, and I, I'm paraphrasing. She says she doesn't mind that people of faith are doing that. And I don't even mind people of faith believing in something as long as they do not live out their faith or talk about Jesus. Not even realizing the irony of a statement that the fact that there are those that are opening up their churches to these children are doing so because of their faith. In fact, she herself is not living out her own advice, for she is speaking out of her own worldview and of her own faith. See, we live in a world today that is hostile to our faith. They don't mind us, but please do not live out your faith. Don't make decisions based on your faith. Don't vote by your faith. Don't live out the actions and the implications of your faith. And not only that, they say, be quiet. Do not pray in our assemblies. Do not use the name of Jesus in your prayers. Just don't even speak about it. That's the type of world we live in the first century Christian world. It's the same today as it was then. And like that, you and I are to be salt and light. In the midst of that, you and I, in our going out, are commanded to make disciples, teaching them to obey God's commands. And what we say and how we say it goes a long way in proving the truths of Scripture and our faith in Christ. And just as this, stay with me, please. And just as their home church fellowships with their places of refuge and sanctuary, so is our services and our small groups and our times together. We should not fail in exercising self-discipline and honoring God with our words. Hence why he has a strong word against gossip. Hence he has a strong word to say against those who would lie about a brother or bring a charge against an elder or to hurt one another with our words. Let us realize that in the house of God and in our profession of faith, it should not be so. Guard your heart, for from it is the wellspring of life. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for James who was obedient to give us these instructions. And Father, I pray that you'd come and help us understand the importance and the strength of the tongue and how destructive it can be and the impact it can have on the lives of others. And Father, realizing that we cannot tame it of our own, we ask for your help in helping us to tame that tongue, to bring it under the subjection of your sovereignty. And 
Lord, may we live out our faith by speaking those things that are building up, that are edifying. Let us be salt and light in this hostile environment, knowing that if we're inconsistent with our speech, Father, that it will send the mixed messages to those that need to hear your word. And the fact that it also can bring us to an ungenuineness of faith. I pray and thank you for all that you've done for us. God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.